Please open to Genesis chapter 1 now. Verses 14 through 31 is what, what, well, that was what we were going to set out to cover. We will start in verse 14, and we will cover as far as we can this morning. Genesis 1, 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Father, we praise you for your creation. We, we worship you for who you are and for your works and your words. We pray, Lord, that we would study and that we would be open to hear what you would have to teach us, and that your Spirit would change us as we hear and as we obey. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we probably won't cover all of those verses this morning, but it was a, it was a blessing to read and to study this week. Have you ever had a child come to you with 
something they've made out of Lego blocks. They come with a spaceship, and they're so excited, and they come, they bring it to you, and look, look what I've made. Look at, look at, here's the wings, and look, they fold up. Isn't that cool? Isn't that neat that they fold up like that? And look, here's where the pilots sit. Here's where the seats are for the pilots, and they can, and look, here's the seatbelt, <laughs> and it's great. Here's, here's the rocket engine, and here's how it shoots off, and then, and if you've ever had a boy that's doing this, you know, then he'll... And here's where they go to the bathroom, <laughs> you know. I mean, all of the details, all of the details that they put into it, and every little piece of it and part of it is spelled out and it's pointed out to you, and they want you to notice it and to look at it. Have you ever taken that spaceship from them and said, wow, that is really, I've done this once. I took it, and I said, that is really cool, and I started to fly around with it, and I started to fold the wings up and move the, and, and my son said, what are you doing? <laughs> Give that back to me. <laughs> That's mine. I, he wanted me. Our children wanted us to notice what they made. They didn't want us to be so infatuated and enthralled with what they made that we lost sight of them. They said, look at what I've made and look at all of the, the time that I spent on this and all the creativity that I put into this and look at all the amazing things that are part of this and be, because they want you to say about them what they've revealed and what they've made. And so we find in creation that God has said, look at this universe and this earth and this world that I've made and look at all the pieces and parts and how it all fits together. And unlike a child, he doesn't need us to affirm him. He doesn't need our attention. He doesn't need our praise. Yet that's what he gave it to us for. He said, look at all of this. And it's meant for us to praise him for it to thank Him for it, not to get infatuated with it, not to get enthralled with it, and to get so enamored of it that we lose sight of Him, the one who made it. God worked in this universe. He worked in this creation to show us about Himself, to reveal us who He is, real, reveal to us who He is. And He started in the first three days as He began creating, and He was making divisions for us. He, he was setting things apart and, and dividing things. He created the heavens and the earth in verses 1 through 5, but it was without form, and it was void. There was no way of telling what was what, and there was nothing in it. So even on that first day, God's Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, and then He brought light to begin to shed light, the wisdom, the knowledge of Himself on creation. He separated the light from the dark. He called the light day and the dark night. And he made the sovereign declaration that that was good, as we saw. And then we saw the separation between the waters above and the waters below on day two, verses six through eight, so that the atmosphere developed, which was helpful for light to get through. It was helpful for air to come about so that we can breathe. And day three in verses nine through 13 brought the separation between the land and the waters, and then the introduction of plants, all kinds of vegetation, and the separation between plants was between their kinds. And they were fruitful, they were productive, and it was all pronounced good. But in those first three days, God was making the earth to have form. He made it initially without form and void. In the first three days, He prepared it for life. He gave it form so that in the next three days, He can provide life so that it will no longer be void, but filled the earth now has form at the end of day three. It needs to be filled. And so we'll see that day four will correspond with what God made in day one. 
What he fills in day five will correspond with what he made to have form in day two, and what he fills in day six will correspond with what he made and divided in day three. Let's look at these days together. Day four. In our notes, God fills the heavens. God fills the heavens in verses 14 through 19. The heavens were made to have a form with light. On day four, they are filled with lights. Now, again, we talked about last week, we weren't told what the light was. There was some kind of apparently stationary single source of light that provided light upon the earth for the first few days of creation. But it was not told to us what that was, and God didn't think it was important for us to know, so He didn't tell us, right? Here is where He creates the lights to fill that that job, that position. Verse 14, God speaks into into existence what didn't exist before. We call them the sun and the moon and the stars, and they fill the void. Now, stars here is a bit of a generic word. We need to understand that this can refer to just about any bright spot in the sky apart from the sun and the moon, because the ongoing perspective here in Genesis is not going to be, I'm trying to fill all of your mind with cool stuff. <laughs> God's not saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill up all of your curiosity. I'm going to meet all of your wants and desires for what's going on in space above and beyond. There'll be time enough for that, God says. What you need to know is that I've made it all. And there's the sun, there's the moon, there are the stars. And so the perspective of this is from the perspective of earth as God reveals what we need to know, what we need to see. And so as a human being looking up into the sky, pondering your existence here, as so many have done throughout the centuries, people look up and they wonder, what, what can this teach me? What, what should I be learning? What should I be doing? Can I find answers up there? Well, God gave those lights up there four important jobs. You see them in your notes. You see them in verses 14 through 19 here. The first one was to separate day from night. God tells us right at the outset that He made them to separate day and night, verse 14. He says it again in verse 18, but He says uh, light and dark instead of day and night, but He reiterates their task. This is the duty that God has given for the sun, moon, and stars. Maintain the separation that God has made and that God has set in place, the cycle of day and night, the light and dark, that will continue as part of God's plan for every day, and that's now the job of the celestial bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars, but that's not their only job. God has more for them to do. Number two, you see the second job for them is for signs, seasons, days, and years. So this is to help us pass, uh, mark the passing of time, right? We see time passing in the sun, the moon, and the stars in their movements and in our movement relative to them. Now, seasons here doesn't mean um, spring, summer, fall, winter. It means appointed times. It means marking time in, in seasons, the, the appointed time, the, the appointments. Um, that's what seasons there means. But in terms of days, that's pretty straightforward, right? We understand what a day is. It's 24 hours, a 24-hour cycle of day and night. That makes sense. But actually what mankind has discovered is that a day isn't quite so simple as 24 hours. According to experts, today's length, this day that we're in today, is not going to be 24 hours. This specific particular day will last 23 hours, 59 minutes, 59.9994218 seconds. That's how long it will last. Ever so slightly less than 24 hours. And that's because the earth's rotation is not a constant, steady rotation 
it speeds up, it slows down. So measuring something as simple as a day isn't all that straightforward. And if days isn't all that straightforward, years actually turns out to be a really difficult thing based on which of the celestial bodies you're going to use to measure a year. If you use the moon, and many ancient calendars did use the moon, some people still do today, you'll have a year that's 354 days long, the lunar year. And that gets really messy when over time, there's no such thing as like the summer months and the winter months, right? I mean, you know, you're growing up as a kid and December is, is winter time. And then when you're an adult, December is summertime and you can't, you know, everything's shifting. It's moving slightly. You just can't, it's not consistent. It's not really conducive for making plans. And so the solar calendar was developed. We call it uh, the Julian calendar because it was put in place by Julius Caesar. It got a lot closer, but not all the way. They found that the length of the year was closer to 365 days, but they had added too many leap years. It got thrown off. Corrections had to be made. And so that's how we got, in a very brief, (laughs) non-scientific explanation, that's how we got our Gregorian calendar that we use today. But even this isn't 100% accurate. In fact, today there are different scientific measurements for a year. The Julian year is 365.25 days long. The only reason that the Julian calendar is used is to measure the speed of light. There's the tropical year, which is how long the earth takes to revolve around the sun, beginning and ending at the same point. That's not 365 and a quarter days long. That's actually 365.2422 days long. (laughs) Neat, right? You're going to remember all this. No, you don't have to. But there is another one. There's, it's called the sidereal year or the sidereal, depending on who you're talking to. They pronounce it differently. But it adds in the relative uh, location of the stars in relation to the sun and the earth and how that's happening. And so really the actual length of a year in the sidereal year is 365.2563662 days long. So, Why are we talking about all this? Are we supposed to memorize these numbers? No, but throughout history, you can see that people have had to correct their calendars. We're we're constantly working on figuring out what a day is and what a year is. How long is a month and and how long and how quickly does time pass for us? Why is it so hard for us to figure out time? Well, see, mankind wasn't given the task of determining the passing of time. We measure it against the sun, the moon, and the stars. This was part of God's plan, His intention. We're not supposed to figure out time independently here and then make it match. We're supposed to get it from what God's doing up in space, up here on the earth, with our rotation, with our orbit around the sun, with the stars, with everything that's going on. We're supposed to look up to find out how much time is being passed. That's God's plan. We're obeying the Lord when we do that. Even secular scientists that would deny any kind of God are using the very instruments that God intended to be used for the passing of time. Now, it doesn't only say days, years, and seasons that the celestial bodies mark. God says they are for signs also. Oh, signs. Signs for what? This is where people get into trouble, right? Signs for personality? Did they tell me what I'm supposed to be like, what I'm supposed to like? And what, Did they tell me what the future is supposed to hold and what today is going to be like? What are these signs? Can we just define them however we want to define them? Now, as we say always constantly here, context defines the word. Signs means signals, markers for what? Well, God says for seasons, for days, and for years. 
The sun and the moon and the stars are signals. They're signs for marking the passing of time. That's what signs mean. They're not for horoscopes. They're not for zodiac signs. They're not for determining what will happen here on earth. (laughs) God does not delegate the control of events on earth to the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the asteroids. Everything that's happening, He maintains sovereign control over everything. So the celestial bodies have those two important jobs, making the distinctions, maintaining that separation between day and night, and then marking the passing of time for signs and seasons and days and years. There's a third job. God says they are to give light upon the earth. Light upon the earth, verses 15 through 17. He speaks them into existence, and he says, your purpose is to give light, and then it says, it was so. So he creates them, he turns them on, and they give light. But a precise amount of light, right? We've sort of talked about it before, but too much light and life wouldn't exist here. Too little light and, again, life would not exist. There are two of them listed here, two sources of light, verse 16. They're listed in a very interesting way in verse 16. There is a greater light and a lesser light. Now, again, remember, this is from the perspective of earth. One's greater, one's lesser. By describing them this way, the Bible actually avoids two ancient mistakes that were made by people who were gazing up into the sky and looking at the sun, the moon, and the stars. The the first mistake was that people viewed the sun as the greatest object in all the sky. The great, not just the greater light, but the greatest. They viewed the sun as an object of worship. It's the greatest thing in the whole sky. And it was the greatest object because it gave the light and the heat necessary, and it was rightly seen as being integral for all of life, but they wrongly worshipped it, seeing as the greatest thing that there was in the sky. Now, today we know that the sun is not the greatest thing in the sky. There are a lot of stars that are bigger, brighter than our sun, which is a star, In fact, there's one star that is called Betelgeuse that is a red, supergiant star. According to some estimates, you could fit over a million of our suns inside this star called Betelgeuse. And just as a reminder, you could fit 1.3 million Earths inside our sun. So multiply the, the scale and you can figure out how huge this star is, Betelgeuse. There are stars bigger than Betelgeuse. So the sun is not the greatest object in the sky, is it? The Bible hasn't made that mistake for us. The Bible hasn't declared that for the sun. It just said it was the greater light. It's not a God to be worshipped. It's not the greatest in the sky, but it's given to us by God for life. And it does a pretty good job at that. Scientists in May of 2020 studied a whole bunch of stars, and they found 369 stars just like our star, the sun. They found a lot more, but only 369 of them they could actually measure accurately. And they wanted to compare them to our sun, and they said that those stars are a lot more exciting than our sun. They said they were a lot more fun, a lot more exciting. They found that the rotation of the star around its axis uh, influences its magnetic field, and that determines how much radiation it shoots out, uh, how many particles it emits, the eruption of those particles, how, how brightly it shines. It has an effect on all of that, but they found that our sun is very stable. It has just the right rotation to maintain its stability. In fact, the fluctuation level between shooting out radiance and and shooting out those particles and the brightness 
it only fluctuates in, a, in terms of percentage 0.07%. The other stars were up to five times as active as that. They said it's shooting out all kinds of things. These stars are just, they're so exciting. They're so wonderful. They actually said our sun is sort of a deadbeat. It's sloth-like and lazy. <laughs> they're making fun of our sun. I'll take this lazy sun because it preserves life on this earth, right? I mean, with, with those, radiance, those, those radiation levels and the particles shooting out all the time, I mean, you know, life, it might be a little more entertaining for science, but it would be a whole lot less livable here on earth. So the sun does its job very well of giving light on the earth, but not too much light, not too little light. It's not the greatest object in space. It's not the biggest star around. Maybe not that exciting to some, but God didn't make it for any of those things. He made it to give light. And it's not something of worship. It's not, the, it's not an object of worship, but it's something to worship God for. The second mistake that people made in ancient times was that some believed that the moon was actually bigger than the sun. They, they viewed the moon, they saw it, they, they believed that it was much bigger, but it was so far away that not an, as much light got here, not as much heat made it to our planet. Now, we, of course, know that the moon is much smaller than the sun. It's actually only about a quarter of the size of the earth. But scientists have found that, surprisingly, the size of our moon compared to the earth is a lot bigger than the moon's ratios to other planets. The size of our moon is a lot bigger, and that's important because the amount of light that the moon provides to the earth is what we needed, what God's plan had in mind. If we had a smaller moon, we'd get less light at night. We wouldn't have the light that we need. So God's designed the moon to be exactly the right size, to give the amount of light that He wanted. He's designed the sun to be exactly stable and exactly what it needed. And His Word tells us this, a greater light and a lesser light, without making any of those mistakes that people of old used to make. It's accurate. Both of these two great lights give light on the earth, and God describes them for us truthfully with no mistakes. It's man's kind, mankind who makes mistakes, misunderstanding, or misusing when we worship these or when we run our lives by these lights. Now, I want to call your attention especially to the end of verse 16. God has spoken here in verse 16 that the two great lights at the end of the verse, and the stars. <laughs> and the stars, yeah. Oh, the trillions and, and trillions of stars, yeah. God said, I made those two. <laughs> you know, against the backdrop of ancient peoples worshiping these stars, making everything about the stars, leading their lives by the stars and understanding hopefully what was going to happen, the way they interpreted them, that, that all that they say and mean, God says, oh, yeah, the stars, I made those two. You don't run your life by the stars. It's, it's like God is teaching us that they are great, but they're not as great as you make them out to be when you misuse them from their intended purpose. They're meant, these lights in the skies, they're meant for our benefit, but the benefits that God has designed them to be. Have you noticed that each of these jobs that they have to do are directly um, giving light to the earth, and, and they're giving signs and seasons and days and years to the earth, and they're separating night and day for the earth. <laughs> they're for our benefit. And you could say that the, the sun, the moon, the stars are meant to be served, uh, to serve, not to be served, right? 
They're meant to serve us to, in, in these ways, not to be served. That leads to their final job. Number four in verse 18, God says that they are to rule over the day and the night. So they serve not just by separating the day and the night, but by ruling over it. He delegates that to these lights. Who did he not give that to? Mankind. Now, you know, it's because mankind's not, re- not created yet. Well, that's partly it. But also, can you imagine what would happen if mankind were in charge of when it was day and when it was night? How much we would mess that up. <laughs> How much of a mess we would make that. We, we were not given control or dominion ruling over day and night. God gives that job to these lights. Praise God that we can't mess with that. Why do we have such a hard time marking and passing the time? Why do we have such a hard time understanding all of this? Well, God says that's what it's for. It's, it's to, to guide you in that, and it's to make you not dependent on that. You're dependent on me to tell you when the time is and what's going to happen. The celestial bodies do what God gave them to do. They, they separate the night. They make the passing of time. They give light. They rule over the day. And they fill the form of the heavens that God made. They fulfill their purpose. It reminds me of Psalm 148. And the psalmist says, Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded, and they were created. These celestial bodies were given jobs to do, and they fulfill those jobs. You know, maybe we can learn something from them. (laughs) When God gives us work to do, when God gives us things to do, and, you know, that's what we're here for. We We need to obey the purposes that he's given to us, perform the functions that he's made for us. He says there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Day five. In our notes, the next day starts, and in day five, God fills the waters and the air. And that wasn't a surprise for you, right? You were here, if you were here last week, you, you saw that God was dividing and dividing and dividing, and here God is filling and filling and filling. He's filling this all with life. In this day, day five, He combines fish and birds. Again, day two was the separation of waters above and waters below and the atmosphere. God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of creatures. Swarming refers to the the wriggling, the movements. You think about the twitching of fish. Think about the funny movements of the different creatures in the waters. The slithering and the twitching and the the, the waving. I mean, the, the, the majestic… Have you ever watched a manta ray through the water? I mean, it's almost like it's flying the shrimp, the seahorses with their awkward little <laughs> whatever that is that they do, right? <laughs> I mean, you think about the, the squid and how they move and all of those movements in the waters and, and all of those creatures, how they move around. God created all of those. He says He created the, the great sea creatures. The creatures is a word that means big animals, and then it's compounded with great, the great big animals in the seas and the waters, Now, some have said, well, we need to figure out what that means. What is he talking about? Is he talking about a whale? Is he talking about a different kind of whale? Is he talking about a dinosaur that's extinct extinct now? You know, what's going on? Well, God says He creates the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm. So, the answer is yes. Whatever animal you can see, whatever animal you can think of that was in the water that is in the water, yes, God created that. 
From big to small, everything is created. Job 41, you have the verses in your notes, but Job describes, well, God describes for Job an animal that He created there that, that we've called Leviathan. And it doesn't appear to match any animal that we know of in the water at this point. Could it have been a dinosaur in the water? Sure, it could have been. Could it have been some other animal that we don't even know of today? Yeah, it could have been. But whatever the size was, whatever kind of animal it was, he created it. It was in the water, and that's what he made. Today, the biggest animal in the water is the blue whale that weighs 150 tons. Yeah, that qualifies as a great sea creature. <laughs> All the way down to the smallest creatures, waterborne viruses and bacteria, and just a small step above that is the Irukandji jellyfish at one centimeter cube. And you've probably heard that jellyfish before in the news when it stings someone. It's a deadly little one centimeter jellyfish. It's amazing from all of the giant sea creatures down to the smallest things. In the ocean, in the lakes, in the ponds, in the rivers, God created all of these creatures. He created the flying things, every winged bird, birds that fly across the expanse of the heavens. And you know, I thought about Oh, the amazing kinds of birds that we have, the, the, the hawk, the falcon, um, the ostrich in its own weird way, right, that doesn't fly. Um, so many birds. But the one that caught my eye this week was the woodpecker. And some of you say, oh, no, that didn't catch your eye. That caught your ear <laughs> because those things can irritate you to no end, right? But the woodpecker is an amazing bird, the beak of this bird can handle pecking at 1,000 times the force of gravity as he pecks incessantly into a tree, hardwood trees, softwood. They prefer the decaying, dying trees, but they'll peck anything they can get a hold of, the siding on your home, um, sheds. There are videos of them pecking metal sheds. <laughs> How does this bird do all that? How can this bird handle the stress of that? The bird has not evolved two toes and two toes, opposing toes on its feet. This is what's amazing, that, that we would be taught that this bird would accidentally come up with all of these adaptations to be able to do this. This bird, most birds have three toes in the front and one in the back. This bird has two in the front, two in the back, because it needs to be able to hold itself, support itself vertically on a tree and peck its head into the side of whatever it's pecking. The toes, this is, this is amazing, all, all birds have this, but especially it's important for woodpeckers. The more they relax, the more their ligaments pull their toes together, so they don't even have to focus on trying to make sure they hold on. The more they relax their toes, the tighter they grip. They have tail feathers that act as a, as a tripod for them so they can get even more force and, st and stabilize themselves as they're pecking. They've got cartilage between their beak and in their head. They've got air pockets so that they don't give themselves brain damage every time they're smacking their head into something as hard as metal or wood. They peck up to 20 times a second. And <laughs> every time they peck, when they come back, they open their eyes and aim, come forward and close their eyes because not only... Will flying debris come and hit their eyes and, and blind them? They're hitting so hard and so fast, their eyes would pop out of their heads. <laughs> so every time, tw up to 20 times a second, they're opening their eyes, closing their eyes, smacking it, coming back, opening, closing, and they're doing that up to 20 times a second, 
thousand times the force of gravity with cartilage to, to block them from, yeah, and there's so much more about, I mean, their tongues are amazing. You're like, tongues of birds, I mean, come on. <laughs> but it, th these are amazing creatures. God created all of these birds with all of their abilities to fly, to, to eat, to reproduce, everything that they do that's so amazing. Everything that these animals can do, the flying insects are probably included at this point because it's not specific only to birds, but all of the things that we can't do in the air, all of the things that we can't do in the waters with the, the creatures there. Now, it's interesting because these two types of creatures have a lot of similarities. They've got hollow bones. They have um, layered covering like shingles on a roof, either feathers or scales or some kind of protection. They're streamlined shape. They, all, they, they migrate. I mean, th these are, it's amazing that God placed these animals, these kinds of animals together, the birds and the fish, on one day. The problem is for us where people have gone wrong in worshiping them for their abilities to fly or to swim or to go down into great depths of the oceans, or if not worshiping them, coveting them, right? Oh, I wish I could fly like that. God, why didn't you make me to be able to fly? How come he didn't make me to be able to go into the depths of the ocean and swim around? He, he didn't. <laughs> he made creatures to do that, and he made us to be amazed by them, by all of their abilities, by their colors, their shapes, their sizes. I mean, the immensity, the, the microscopic size. I mean, all of the amazing things, but not to be amazed at them for the sake of being amazed at them, but to be amazed at the God who made them. Again, the God who says, look at what I've done. Look at my power and wisdom and, and my sovereignty to, to put all of this into motion, to create it and to place it here. Look at that and then praise the God who made it. Don't praise the creation. Well, then God blesses this part of his creation. In verse 22, he blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters. To be fruitful means to have life. It means, it means abundant life. It means it don't just survive but thrive. Multiply means, well, that's pretty obvious. It means to, to multiply, to be numerous, right? Have lots of little birds and lots of little fish and lots of little squid and all the little creatures in the water and the air, and then fill the earth. Fill the entire planet. Not, don't just stay in one spot and, and have all of the little baby birds and baby fish spread out all over the planet. Now, if we look at the water creatures... If we look at water, the existence of water on this planet, there is only one place on the entire planet with water where there is no life. The water creatures have filled the earth. They've multiplied everywhere. The one place is the Dalal pools in Ethiopia. They are pools of water that sit on a volcanic hill, and they are so not conducive to life uh, that, that nothing, literally nothing can live in that water. It's the only place. It has a 50% salinity level. And if you're not sure what that means, the ocean, if you've ever been to the ocean, you've tasted how much salt is in the ocean, it's only about 3.5% uh, salinity level in the ocean. The Dead Sea is at 35%, but these pools are at 50%. The, the pH level of acid in this water in these pools is about the same as your car battery, the acid in your car battery. And the heat goes well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And so we can understand, well, okay, <laughs> in that water there's no life, and we can understand why. But there's water life literally everywhere else there's water. When God said, 
be fruitful, multiply and fill to the water creatures. They obeyed that command. They listened to what God said and they continue to do that. In the case of birds, there's not one habitat without birds. Birds have made it throughout the planet in the Arctic Circle, Arctic and Antarctic, watery regions, desert regions, everywhere in between the highest mountains, birds are found. They have filled the earth. They have multiplied. They, they survive and they're fruitful. They've obeyed the Lord because He blessed them. And He blesses their obedience. And this is the first time that we see a blessing from God because God's blessings come to life. They come to life, to living creatures. God didn't have to tell the rocks to multiply. <laughs> he tells living creatures to multiply. And this reminds me again of Psalm 148. The psalmist continues, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His word. He includes the trees, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Praise the earth. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for His amazing works and creation, for all that He's done in creating the birds and the fish and blessing them and filling the earth with them. That's day five. There was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Next in our notes, you've probably already got it filled in, but God fills the land on day six. He fills the land, verses 24 to 31. Now, let's cover the first two verses. <laughs> Verse 24 says, God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Ten times in chapter 1, we see that phrase, according to their kinds. And it was so. Why was it so? Because God liked them that way. <laughs> he, he made the different animals. He made the, the mammals and the amphibians and the reptiles. He made all of the different kinds of animals, and He made them to stay within their kinds because He liked them that way. And so that no kind will move from one kind to another. In verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. It was good for the animals to come upon the, the land. It was good. But um, just picture this. We have two verses where God creates every land animal on the planet. How many, we had six verses for the, the sun, the moon, and the stars. We have just two for every animal. Again, you know, people have worshipped land animals. They've, they've, they've worshipped the sea creatures and the air creatures. They've, they've worshipped everything from the elephant to the, the cow to the, the dog, the dung beetle. Really? <laughs> the dung beetle, mice. People have worshipped all of these animals and they've worshipped all of these things, but God has said, no, don't worship them. Worship the God who made them. Ten times in this chapter, he keeps them according to their kinds. These animals, again, God will bless, and he'll, he'll cause them to multiply and to be fruitful and to, to fill. These animals have all now come upon the earth. Everything has now led up to this moment in creation where God is going to create his highest creation that will not be made according to its kind. It will not be made according to its own image. It will be made in His own image. It's all led up to this because when He creates mankind, He will stop creating. 
and then he'll give dominion to this creation. And this was a study that I was really looking forward to doing this morning with you. (laughs) We've already run out of time. Psalm 148, again, verse 10, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth and heaven. This God has, has, has given to us this creation. He, he's shown us this creation. Look at all of the wings that fold up and fold down. Look at all of the ways that the birds move and the fish and the sea creatures move. Look at the way that the animals have been made, the, the immense size. The elephant that's five tons, the largest land animal that we know of today, Back when God did this, he could have made the, the dinosaur that's uh, become known today as the dreadnoughtus. It means the, the thing that doesn't fear anything. <laughs> it was a, it, they measured it at about 65 tons, this giant dinosaur that would have roamed that maybe God made right here, fully grown at this time <laughs> in creation. From the biggest to the smallest, the, the smallest little creatures that run around, I found a, a, the smallest mammal ever known was a North American shrew-like animal. It weighed .003 pounds, about the weight of a dollar bill. <laughs> the, the smallest life to the biggest life, God made all of this. He, he created it all, and He made it so that it would proclaim His glory, so that it would teach us about Him. And so our application this morning as we as we end too soon, is to worship this God. Worship this God who fills the void. What does He fill the void with? He fills it with life. He fills the void with life. He fills the void with blessing. He's blessed the life. He's, he's given the, the commands of blessing over all of life the, in, in, the, in the waters, in the airs, on the land. And He fills the void with goodness. This is all pronounced by God to be good. It's good as it's formed. It's good as it fills the void. It's good as it obeys and as it's blessed and as it fills and as it stays within its kinds. God has made all of this with life, with blessing, with goodness, and He's filled it all. So we worship this God. You know, it's too easy to worship the things around us. It's too easy to worship ourselves. But God says, no, this is made to declare my glory And though I don't need it from you, this is the right response, the proper response to live a life of worship, not just come to church on Sunday and sing a few songs and say, well, I worship today, now I can go home and and do with the rest of, of my life what I want until next week when I come sing a few more songs and I can worship again. Worship to God is a, is, is ascribing worth to Him. It's recognizing the worthiness of God. Because of creation, because of His salvation, because of His Word, we could go on and on all day long describing why God is worthy of worship and ascribing worth. Our lives are meant to be led and lived, living a life of worship, ascribing the worth and the glory of God. Let's be more like the sun, moon, and stars. Let's be more like the birds and the fish. Let's be more like the land animals doing what God's told us to do, living those lives of worship. Father, we pray that you would enable that within us. God, we are unable, God, to ascribe all of your worth to you, to describe it. God, to recognize, God, our minds 
are too small and finite. God, we haven't even researched and understood all of the creation on this planet. Father, we know more about space than we do about the ocean. God, we've been more places, Lord, than, than we even remember. And God, there's so much we have yet to learn, but God, there's more that we need to learn about you. Father, I pray that we would be faithful to recognize who you are. Father, to see you for all that you are, all of your goodness, your sovereignty, your power, your wisdom. Father, how you care for us and how you've crafted everything. God, and how it was meant to point to you. God, it's a giant arrow that points to you and to your person. God, I pray that that would be foremost in our minds this week. God, that we would remember you, that we would know you, that we would learn about you. Father, I pray that you would enable us, give us the strength, God, not to worry what people might think of us, Lord, as, as we're amazed at your creation, as we, as we speak differently, and Lord, as we, as we act differently, God, I pray that you would give us opportunities to tell the world about you. And God, as they're amazed and as they're humbled by you, Father, that we could tell them about the salvation that your son Jesus has given us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, I pray that we would read and depend on it and study it, Lord, because in your word, you are there with us. And God, your spirit moves in us through your word. Father, that's where the power is. That's where our life is. God, I pray that we would feed on it daily. God, that we would turn to you and trust in you and worship you, God, because you're worthy. You're worthy of all creation's praise and all glory. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your work in his name. Amen.